Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of Rolling Forward. I am your host Ben Baldieri and thank you for tuning in. Rolling Forward is dedicated to exploring topics related to mental health and sport and the interplay between the two. Now I'll be talking to high performers in various areas about their experiences and in doing so seeking to broaden the dialogue. Mental health is a huge issue which has historically not received the recognition it deserves so I'm looking to do my bit to change that. My guest today is Albin Warren. Albin is a serial entrepreneur from France and has been involved in startups in areas such as social media, fashion, and more recently in professional training solutions in the domain of positive psychology. His background is in philosophy, psychology, and neuroscience, and he is the founder of the China Happiness Project. The China Happiness Project seeks to explore traditional Western notions of happiness and their perceptions with 100 Chinese people. China is a collectivist society in which the needs of the individual are assumed to be subservient to the needs of the group, so the China Happiness Project seeks to explore whether or not that is actually the case. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thank you. Good evening, Abba. Thank you very much for for doing this. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Now, the the first thing that I would like to talk about is the, the China Happiness Project. Um, that is interviewing 100 Chinese people. These are purpose-driven individuals. Mm-hmm. Where did this idea come from? Well, um, when I started my happiness journey in uh, back in 2017, it was really like a big turning point in my life, and I decided to focus on this thing about uh, how could I make people happier. Not happy, but happier. And um, at the very beginning, when I started uh, Happiness Architect, uh, it became, it started actually more like, um, not really as a business person, more as a fun thing. And uh, I was doing some videos that I was shooting with Maypie, and I was, <laughs> I was posting on WeChat, and friends love it. And, and then I started to do some speech for fun around uh, happiness, positive psychology. And on the side, I had this idea also to, instead of just sharing my own perspective on happiness, to also interview people. And uh, as I am French, uh, coming from also another culture, another part of the world, I was finding very interesting to get the views on local people around this topic of happiness. So the original idea was, okay, I'm going to make this project called the China Happiness Project. It's non-profit and is interviewing Chinese people from, let's say, no barrier of age, 18 to even the oldest guy I interviewed was 80, around what is their view on happiness and why today they are living a life, I will say, according to their own term, uh, deciding to follow a path that is their own path, not especially following what society pushed them to do or what, for example, family pushed them to do as well. Okay, and one of these one of these criteria for you selecting these individuals was a sense of purpose that these people had. Yes. How did you decide who had what you were looking for and who didn't when it came to selecting who to interview? Well, of course, there is a lot of uh, subject uh, mm-hmm. subjective <laughs> parts in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really based on the people I meet, people introduce me to other people. I'm also always looking for, I don't know, maybe some some funny stories, some uh, kind of like uh, unexpected stories. So for example, I have this girl uh, coming from an army family. Uh, 
father, a very high rank officer in the army, decided to become a tattoo artist and moved to Dali, uh, this kind of like a hippie place in China, mm-hmm. 10 years ago to follow a dream. And you can imagine that the dad, very traditional, wasn't really happy. But after 10 years of doing a passion and showing to the dad that she was so passionate about her thing, finally today, last time she was telling me, I was so proud when my, da- my dad shared a picture of my tattoo on his WeChat to Ooh. show to his friend. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... Wow. So, of these individuals who you, who you interviewed, were there any that really surprised you? Were there any that kind of shocked you? Were there any standouts among them? Well, I think so. I think the one that shocked me the most is actually not especially the, the youngest. Even if one of the the angle I try to take is also young generation. It was this man called James, uh, almost uh, eight years old. Very wise man. Um, keep traveling around the world. English speaker. When you meet him in the street, you can meet him actually in the area of Anfulu, Changlulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always hanging around and every time he go to speak to foreigners. And he has three passions in life. The first one is learning English. So every day, every morning, he learns English. In the afternoon, he goes to the Apple store to learn about iOS. He has an iPhone, he has an iPad. And then he goes to play tennis. And all his life is structured around these things. And he's 80 years old. He has a purpose. Every day he's waking up, looking forward to something. And to me, this is really something that is key when you talk about happiness, you know. So having that kind of innate sense of purpose, as you say, having something yes. that's driving you exactly. something. Exactly. Okay. Were there individuals among the, the people that you interviewed who were still discovering that purpose, who intrigued you in how they were arriving at that? Or were they all people who had this like clearly defined idea of who they were, what they wanted to do, how they wanted to get there? Yes, most of the time they, they know what they want. I think uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, one common point. That's also, I think, the, the line of the project. They are very, uh, they're purpose-driven, but they are very clear about what they want. Uh, and uh, they do everything it takes to follow their dream. <laughs> nice. Good. Yeah. Cool. Now, can you tell me about a point in your life where you didn't? have that purpose yes uh, well we can go back to 1995 when I was born <laughs> why I'm here <laughs> what's the point no actually I think I had um, I had a few difficult times um, the, the first point coming to my mind was in 2011 after um, traveling the world doing some different businesses in Asia then in uh, in America I was going to America to live my uh, my American dream with my second business, and this dream became a nightmare. And actually, uh, we ended up broke with my partners uh, living in a shitty hole in uh, in Harlem, and uh, we didn't even enough money to to pay for curtain, and the, the sun was shining, and we buy some just plastic bag and we put them on the window. You know, <laughs> it was quite epic. And at this point, we said, okay, maybe we need to go back to France. And I came back to France and uh, I didn't have money. So I went back to live with my parents and I felt very ashamed because I was kind of like uh, mid-twenties and uh, no money, uh, no project, no hope. Uh, like I'm a loser. What's going to be next? Mm-hmm. And I had a very tough time working in a restaurant, uh, washing dishes. <laughs> 
We've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember one day that I was washing dishes, uh, no hot water, uh, and I was thinking, okay, what is this? What I'm doing here? Is it my life? <laughs> is it gonna where I'm gonna spend my next ten years? And I think this kind of pushed me to move forward. And uh, a few months later, I was out and uh, ready to go back to China. <laughs> so the the startup in America that was Cities Up. Yes, yes. I've done my homework. Okay, yeah. What led to the the idea for that project? Well, in the first place? it started in Shanghai actually. Mm-hmm. It started in Shanghai with um, one day uh, in 2010. I was coming back from Japan and uh, moving back. Actually, not moving back. I was I was traveling in China for two weeks with a very good friend. And during those two weeks, I got a business idea, so I decided to stay. And these two weeks became a year. And uh, one day I was working on Fuminlu, in the French concession. And on my right, there was a very small shop, like a few square meters, selling cigarettes and beers from all around the world. And back in 2010, it wasn't very common, first. And second, um, I didn't know where I could have found access to this kind of information. So the idea was simple. We decided to create a platform called Shanghai Gossip. And the idea was every time you see something interesting in the city, you take a picture, you write a story, and you share it on the platform. So it's kind of like a citizen journalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So we started in Shanghai. We did it for many months. But at certain point, we realized that maybe it was a little bit sensitive, doing media business, being foreigners. So I didn't want to end it up in jail. <laughs> so I decided to the same. So I decided to keep the ID and with my business partner, we first step moved back to France, developed cities up from France. We created an app and then we are like, okay, it's time to go to go big. And uh, that's when we decided to move to New York. We said, okay, we go big or we go home. And actually we we went home. <laughs> So what was the what was the process of moving this idea that took took hold in Shanghai mm. which is obviously a very different business environment to America. What yeah. was that process like in terms of adapting your business idea which would be catering to one market to yeah. a market that is fundamentally different? Yes, actually to be honest uh we didn't really have this uh, in mind. We were very also, we were young, so we had the energy, we had the, we had the idea, but we weren't so uh, structured and um, we were still a bit naive. So that was the beauty of it. <laughs> but it also, I think, uh, led us to probably take bad decision and uh, that's why we, we probably crash the business Mm -hmm. so we were just with this idea we're going to create a social media platform where everybody can do the news so you become the media with a kind of a geolocalization system so when you open the app wherever you are you can see the news around you and then uh, the business model was also like according where you are there is some targeted uh, advertisement that come up so if you are a local business you can do some promotion and so we had an idea about business model, about building community. We are very aggressive into street marketing, so mm-hmm. we also wanted to do things differently. So that was our idea. For example, in Shanghai, when we started, we bought those. We went to the old uh, market, and we bought those uh, old uh, bicycles mm-hmm. from the walkers, and we painted them in pink. 
pink color, Fantastic. very flashy. <laughs> and we put the stickers like Shanghai Gossip. And we went, we were like biking around in the city and putting them on the bond and stuff like that. And then uh, in Paris, we do some, uh, we go to the metro, we put some crazy uh, advertisements. We go to Champs Elysees, we go to Eiffel Tower, we, we put a banner on the street. Uh, so we were kind of like, you know, like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good ideas. I mean, I personally can't imagine seeing a bright pink bicycle <laughs> covered in stickers cycling around the uh, yeah. in places quite grey French conception. Yes, yes. So I'm, yes. I'm sure that's a big contrast. Yeah. Can you remember any of the funnier posts or funnier <laughs> stories that were posted on this platform before it was um, shuttered for for personal protection, as it were? Yes, uh, actually, yeah, there was this post about um, the naked Lawai <laughs> on the bond. So we, we were imagining that to do the buzz, we will put a picture of a naked man <laughs> in uh, on the bond looking at the Pudong, Lu Jiazui. So we put this pic. <laughs> and the story was like, oh, this morning I was walking on the bond and I saw this Lawai facing the... <laughs> the nature, a beautiful landscape, completely naked. <laughs> Taking was, in the sights and sounds of the yes, city. Yes, exactly. Natural beauty. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So you've you've moved to New York. You mentioned you were living in Harlem at yes, the time. Yes, yes. What was it like coming to terms with the fact that your business idea, something mm. that obviously you put a huge amount of time into, mm. was starting to look like it wasn't going to succeed in the way that you thought. Well, we went to New York uh, with some uh, uh, users already that actually were active in France. <laughs> and then we, our idea was to go to America to pitch and raise money. So that was our only goal at that time. And then we say, okay, we arrive. Look, guys, we have a app. We have some users already. And, um, but then we realized that nobody were, uh, uh, waiting for us. You know, New York is a tough market. America is, uh, is very competitive. And, uh, well, there's Frenchmen, you know, we <laughs> don't give a shit about us. I can say. <laughs> so yeah, then we realized, okay. So. You're in your Harlem flat. Mm. You've had to use bin bags to cover yeah. the window. Yeah. How did you feel when you knew you had to finish? You mm. knew that was it. Yeah. Well, um, I wasn't alone. So this journey I, I did with my business partner, that is also today my best friend. And... Um, so it's actually some someone that really changed my life in many ways. Uh, very entrepreneur, really inspired me. He inspired me to move to China, and then uh, we we were on this journey together. So when I was there, actually I wasn't alone. I was with him, and uh, at certain point we just said, "Okay, we we took this decision together," and um, that's it. So. We were, you know, when you're an entrepreneur in your mindset, of course, it's sad, but you need sometimes to accept, to give up, to maybe start something else. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, what we did, you know. So that was our reflection. No need to be too stupid. That's Now it's time to give up. That's it. Know when to call it quits. Yeah. So from that 
startup failure from having to move home and then you're living with your parents and it's a case of what am I doing? Where do I go from here? What did you take from that whole experience? What was the, one of the main things that you learned? Yeah. Um, I had a few experience. So this wasn't my first business. Uh, from my first business, uh, I have already one key takeaway at that time. Uh, it was in Japan and I was doing business with a partner that was a bit negative and sometimes we have conflict. And, and, and from that experience in Japan before, I learned that surrounding yourself with people, especially having positive people around you is very, very important especially as a business partner. But from that uh, Shanghai Gossip New York experience, the second key takeaway from my entrepreneurial journey and uh, even life journey is that we were too eager. We were too much focused on doing these things for the money and doing it fast and go big and that we forget how important is it sometimes to be patient. So patience is my second key takeaway. Especially when you move abroad, you're in different culture. You need to see things clearly, acting fast, but being patient um, to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So seeing how things are happening, watching them when they happen, yeah, but not jumping in as soon as you think you have the right opportunity. Taking that little bit of time to reflect, make sure it's the right time to do it. Yes, and also accept that uh, things takes time to be built. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, my daughter cannot, uh, I mean, when she was two months, she cannot run. <laughs> she first, she crawled, then she walked, then she she's eventually running. And at that time, we were just like, okay, big, 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 you know, having this big, 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 big vision, only looking for this big thing, it kind of lost us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too big picture. Yeah, too big. Details first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is 2012 circa? Yes, I was in France. I was Mm -hmm. back in France in 2012. Mm -hmm. And then you came back to Shanghai Mm -hmm. and you started Mr. Monkeys. Yes. That is obviously a, well, that is a very different story. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. from a business standpoint can you uh, yes. tell us about the germination of that idea yes and the journey to where it is now yes okay so basically i mean uh, i'm living with my parents i'm working in the kitchen and one day my cousin invite me to go to the, my nephew birthday and uh, okay i'm coming and then my nephew is actually with a couple of friends enjoying with um, pens drawing on shoes <laughs> his shoes or someone else's shoes no, <laughs> was his shoes so my cousin arrived what the hell are you doing <laughs> it's like white trainers they are new okay they are basically wasted and then I remember that when I was a kid I used to draw on the table I used to draw on my backpack and I said it's not, it's not a bad idea it's quite cool maybe just want to express his, his artistic soul you know his creativity and I say, okay, interesting. I think I get my next business idea. And there was also, at that time, the kind of like uh, DIY era when everybody likes to do some DIY stuff, DIY, uh, I don't know, his clothes, DIY his bag. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. So I didn't have money. 
So basically, um, I have a few thousand euros. I thought doing a fashion business, I mean, launching a brand uh, is complicated. You have seasonality. You need to plan colors. You need to plan men, females, sizes, especially for shoes. Oh, I'm going to do that. Then I thought, okay, I'm going to make it simple. I'm going to do one shoes, white color. Uh, you can wear summer, winter. So the, 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 the material we use is waterproof. It's unisex. And we're going to only focus on the kids. So I went back to China. I sourced for supplier first for the shoes and also for creating our magic pens because the idea was a shoe that you can draw but you can erase and you can draw again. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's waterproof. Mm -hmm. So every day you can choose your design you want. You can erase with an eraser and um, you become an artist. Yeah. And you go to school, you show to your little comrades. The kids felt proud, you know, mm -hmm. to wear their own creations. So I name it Mr. Monkeys because in France, we say that kids can be smart as monkeys. And since the kids gave me the idea, <laughs> it become Mr. Monkeys. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. So you've come back to China. You've sourced your supplier. You've got your pens ready to go. Where do you pitch that idea first? Who, is your, who are your first customers? Okay, so basically, um, I went back to Shanghai. I came back to Shanghai, not a lot of money. My objective was to get one sample and go back to France and trying to find agent or someone to represent it. So I went back to France and I found out an agent. Uh, they represented us. The guy loves the ID. They were a kind of big agency. And uh, we got our first client, an online distributor, one of the biggest in France. He ordered like 2,000 pairs. <laughs> first order. So it was, a, it was a great start and the business was, uh, was rolling. I mean, starting mm -hmm. <laughs> officially. And then from that humble starting point, who are some of the brands that you've gone on to work with? So basically after my, my strategy was quite simple. Um, we operate directly uh, in my office here and uh, in France, the online e-commerce. And we work with distributors. And also we work with uh, department stores uh, for making uh, events and branding. And from doing that, we expose ourselves well. And we got to do because our shoes was white. So it was also an amazing platform, for example, like brands, like we work with uh, MAC Cosmetic, we work with Jaguar, we work with Maserati, we work with uh, Calcedonia, a huge brand uh, in Europe, we work with Shanghai Fashion Week, we work with designers. But because we, we will say, okay, we have these white shoes, we have this concept, we can customize anything you want, and we're going to do a co-branding. So our strategy was to do a lot of co-branding like this. So we were designing special edition and um, it was a great way for marketing, but also for sales. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. What's been the, the most innovative collaboration you've had? Who's been the most interesting people to work with? Well, at a certain point, what we were doing is that we were outsourcing the creation. 
because on our website we were also not only proposing a white shoe that you could customize yourself but we were also proposing hundreds of uh, shoes with different patterns different design and people could order it and once they order the money is received we will produce the shoes so it will be made on demand mm -hmm. so I have artists every day painting shoes <laughs> it's quite crazy <laughs> sometimes the, the, the office is full of shoes <laughs> full of artists painting all mm. day but it's good because they can also make money it's a, we hire some young people some young artists they can make extra money and stuff and uh, by doing this we were also sourcing for artists all around the world to send us their creation and where we, we are putting their um, design on our shoes on our platform if we sell the shoes they can get money And I really love this part because every day we were receiving a lot of amazing design. Uh, some not so famous artists, but also some more famous artists in France, from Italy. And uh, we even worked with some uh, singers that wanted, uh, famous singers that wanted to create their own shoes. So we were putting them on the website. I mean, that was the very creative part of the business uh, that also excited me. Not just selling shoes, also having the creativity around this business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So having, as you say, having the creativity, having the scope to kind of do something a little bit different with it. Yes, exactly. So Always do something the business different. is the business is still going now as yeah, well. The, the brand the brand is still brand existing. Is still yeah, I'm not I'm not operating anymore, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the brand is still on uh, ongoing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you transition from Mr. Monkey's customizable shoes yeah. inspired by a kid at a birthday party drawing <laughs> on shoes that you shouldn't into, into the China Happiness Project? How, what facilitated yes. that transition? Well, uh, again, this, the turning point was uh, a kid. But this time was my own kid. <laughs> Slightly different then. <laughs> A little bit different. So in 2017, what happened is two things. First, with Mr. Monkeys, um, I had a lot of fun. Business was good. I enjoy a lot. Travel the world. Meet great people. Do great partnership. But as I was thinking, okay, well, am I going to sell shoes all my life? And... Uh, That was the first thing. And second thing is that roughly at the same time, I became a dad. My daughter was born. She was also born in, um, in difficult condition. She was born premature. She actually studied her own life just like mine. I was also born in very poor health condition. And facing this situation, facing this crisis, in Chinese we say like this, uh, wait, like... Um, Some people say it stands for danger and opportunity at the same time. Mm -hmm. But there is some controversy about this word, but let's, let's keep it like that. I was like, okay, should I take these things as a new opportunity maybe to reinvent myself and do something else? And um, what happened is like, I just said, okay, um, what are my key takeaways from all those entrepreneurial experience? I realized that my thing was always about Uh, people, I've always been very people-centric, meaning that the first business, I didn't mention it, but was in, about retail and uh, it was about um, 
making people design their own product. It was about F&B, but uh, it was also very people experience driven. The second business with Shanghai Gossip and Cities Up was about giving the power to people, very human centric. The third business was a DIY concept. So you can express your own feelings, your own emotion or what you want to wear on your shoes. So again, very human centric thing. So I realized what could be my next human centric project? And because I also have been through a lot of difficult time, uh, from business point of view, from personal point of view, I thought that actually the most important thing and most amazing thing in life was to be healthy mentally, to have a great mindset, to be able to build healthy relationships, sustainable relationships also with people that could also help you in difficult time. And then I thought, okay, maybe I should focus on this. Maybe I should focus on how what kind of service I could provide to make people happy, <laughs> to help them to have more control over their mind, over their life. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is how it started, actually, mm -hmm. the happiness architects. Yes, architect, yep. yes. Yeah. Now, what are, the, what are the things that you seek to develop in people through this project? What are the characteristics that you've identified through your personal experiences and through interactions with people as things that if you're if an individual is able to develop these competencies, these skills, they can improve their mindset, they can be happier, <laughs> yes. as it were. Okay, no, I got new concept thanks to this question. <laughs> I will call it the two R. <laughs> R. The first R uh, like uh, resilience. <laughs> And the second are like a relationship. Yeah, I think they are the, the very two key thing. Uh, resilience because life is not always beautiful. Uh, there is a lot of uncertainty. There are a lot of challenges. So we need to be able to deal with this uh, adversity. And number two, um, even though you know all the theory, you sound ready and uh, I mean I read a lot of books, I know a lot of things, I had a lot of experience, but sometimes even though facing situation alone is difficult. And I realized that sometimes I've been really through tough time because I also have this resonant relationship around me. So resilience and resilience and relationship to me, this is what I believe in and this is also what I try to, to share with people. Yeah. So you're, you work with individuals more or more with corporates? Well, more on the business side? Yeah. Well, at the end, we, my vision is to always to serve the, mm -hmm. the people. In terms of channels, uh, we started to work with uh, corporates because it, it, it just started naturally like that. Uh, I knew some people that said, oh, I see it's amazing, this topic of happiness, this topic of positive psychology, we need it, especially with young generation today, they, especially on resilience, you know, sometimes they have been growing up, sometimes they are spoiled, sometimes they have been overprotected, they are not really, and sometimes they also lack of communication skills and how to collaborate at work with other people. So. Uh, maybe you should come to make a talk and trying to animate a bit, empower people. So it's started like this. So, um, and you know, when you start a business also, you, you need to be able to survive, so you need to make money. So yeah. basically that was also eventually a good channel to make money. So we started with corporate and, uh, and now I do have some individuals that 
comes to me and uh, wants to do coaching, for example. So currently, I'm coaching a few people. And, uh, but I'm also very selective because I don't, uh, it's always, you know, when you do coaching, it comes also, um, when I do coaching is also, I feel my role is also to serve people. So I don't see the person as a client. Uh, I really involve a lot in these mm. things. And so I'm also very careful about the kind of people I will choose to work with. So yeah, I do some individuals as mm. well. Mm. So if you're you're working with either a corporate or with an individual and you're seeking to to help them develop mm-hmm. that sense of resilience, mm-hmm. that ability to kind of keep going even when you're you've got bin bags on the windows. Yeah. You can keep going, <laughs> you can bounce back from that experience. Yes. How do you go about that if you're fr- confronted with someone who's never been put in a situation where they need that skill? Yeah. Well, I bring them to the zoo and I ask them to jump where the crocodile lands. <laughs> <laughs> that can be one way. No, actually, when I'm sharing, when I'm, it's not even teaching. I, I don't really say I'm a teacher, but I'm sharing stories as well. And I have some experience. I'm not eight years old. Um, people have more experience than me, but um, it's true. I mean, what I'm sharing, I, I didn't invent it. All those tough times, all those things that I've been through from business to being heartbroken many times, to have some betrayal in my own family, to have some health issue myself. I mean, I didn't fake it. I didn't invent it. So I'm also representing what I'm proposing to people. So when you are authentic with uh, who you are, and uh, the way you really want to help people, because I really believe, I, I really like to help people. Actually. And sometimes I do it with like, even like financially um, uh, interest. Okay. So for example, yesterday I, I, met, I met three random people in my co-working space, two girls, one girl's boyfriend was looking for a job in, uh, in France. I helped her to to help his boyfriend. Another girl, a uh, Chinese girl, she came to visit me. She was looking for a job. I helped her as well. Then I have another girl. She said, oh, I'm dating a guy 20 years older than me. I'm presenting him to my Chinese family. She was stressed. I helped her as well. And I do this without any compensation. You know, I just I just love to be 12 people. So I think in, in this business, you really need to care about people and representing what you're proposing. I see sometimes people, they're proposing maybe some services, but it's not really who they are. They do it because of maybe a business opportunity or something. So that's not my way to do these mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So credibility. Credibility. Credibility is yes. And uh, being authentic. Mm-hmm. Credibility yeah. and authenticity. What about from the other side, the other R, the second R, relationships? What, what do you think has formed the the foundation of your strongest relationships. So for example, your, mm. your business partner where yeah. you were in Harlem with, what was the foundation of that relationship? Why has that relationship been so strong? Well, uh, we tend to, to sometimes to match with people. I don't, we say great minds think alike. Uh, you know, there is this, uh, uh, 
mirroring effect as well, this uh, mirror neurons effect that when you are with certain kind of people, you also tend to become a little bit like them. For example, with this guy, uh, which is my best friend, I think I've been very influenced by him and uh, a lot of my behavior, my way of thinking has been shaped by being with him. But in terms of relationship and my love for people, it comes from very early age because um, actually I grew up in a family that used to be in hospitality and uh, um, very people business. So my mom, for example, she owns a nightclub. And uh, basically when I was five or six uh, on the weekend when... Most of kids, they go to play school. I was going uh, on the dance floor and, <laughs> you know, and enjoying to be surrounded by people. And uh, I was there where normally a kid has not his place, but I was enjoying some adult conversation and slowly discovering about the way that people walk and men uh, pick up chicks and stuff. You know? <laughs> so I can, uh, I think, come also from my family and uh, yeah, my education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got an app with the happiness architect business and i saw it on your website called the iron mind challenge iron mind iron mind yes yes what does that entail what is the iron mind challenge so basically today um we do some offline uh, services so coaching training but the idea is also how we can digitalize uh, this content eventually and help more people because I cannot, uh, for example, physically duplicate myself and be everywhere. So we we come up with some ideas of like, uh, yeah, having a app and uh, creating some mini games that, for example, you could play every day to build up uh, your resilience, to build up your skills, to build up your relationship skills, to build up your empathy, to build up your gratitude. So, for example, talking about resilience, maybe today the, the challenge is, okay, reflect on your biggest failure of your life. What is the key takeaway about these things? So, we help you to reframe the situation. Because sometimes getting answers or, or getting this a moment comes from reframing situation. So, first, we push people to think deeper, reflect on something. And then, second is, okay, if this situation will could happen to you again what would you do differently for example so you try to maybe also take another perspective and think maybe more positively so maybe at the end you you realize this you you did this challenge and you realize okay well this is my key takeaway if this situation happened to me again i could deal with it in another way so today is resilience and tomorrow is about uh, gratitude okay today your challenge is to uh, pick up the phone and uh, say I love you to a person that really matters to you, you know? And tomorrow is about uh, empathy. Spend 10 minutes of your time to really listen, listening very carefully and actively to someone in your office and trying to help him on a current issue. Well, that's a little bit of the idea. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're just trying to 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 help people to change for good and uh, create a more positive mindset. Yeah, fantastic. In terms of your client base and the the individuals who are attending your workshops, mm-hmm. your um, individual clients, the few that you have, is it more the younger generation that are looking for these solutions? Is it more the older generation? Yes, today is more younger generation. 
we did some work with both. Um, of course, very challenging to make uh, all the generation to maybe reframe things and <laughs> help them to change because, uh, you know, from neuroscience perspective, their habits is very... <laughs> Plasticity is yeah. not what it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly, first of all. And also habits are very uh, sick <laughs> and deep. So much more difficult to deconstruct. But also, I mean... I love to commit also to, I'm betting, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm committing also to these young people because, um, I believe they are much, especially maybe this new generation, uh, here, uh, they have a lot of challenges. Not especially, for example, financially, because a lot of them actually, they, maybe they already, uh, homeowner, they, they have a car. So when you take the Maslow pyramid, they are more looking for this uh, self-actualization, this uh, notion of fulfillment and purpose. And it gets very difficult because uh, their parents' goal was just like uh, making money, afford a house, have a car, and be able to pay for education. But them is like... Your phone's going. But them is like, okay, well, what I'm going to do with my life? And at the same time... Maybe family is not very supportive. Maybe friends sometimes also not very supportive. So I think mentally is a little bit more challenging. And the comparison is even, comparison is a big thing, you know, when it comes to uh, mindset and mental health, because we keep comparing each other. And uh, with social media, they open their WeChat and they see their friends doing this thing, with that thing, oh, why I'm not doing this? And so it put a lot of pressure also on shoulders. Mm -hmm. right? So this brings me nicely back to the, the China Happiness Project. Yeah. We've done a full <laughs> circle here. Agreed. So one traditional notion that I've certainly heard quite a few times mm -hmm. is this whole idea of happiness being more mm -hmm. of a, a Western construct. Mm -hmm. um, the, the needs of the individual in more of a collectivist society such as China are mm. semi-subservient to the needs of the whole, the needs of the group. Have you found that this is the case with the older generation? Isn't the case with the older generation? And is there a difference between the older generation and the younger generation? Yes. I understand uh, your question. So, um, indeed, eventually, uh, in the Western world, this uh, individual uh, thinking like the girl and Jewy, and uh, in China, is more like a GT Jewy, like this collective uh, approach, used to be the, the big difference. Uh, I can f see that um, is being reshaped somehow, uh, because this this post 90s this uh, post uh, this ling ling ho like this um, that are maybe 18 19 years old they i don't want to say they're very selfish but if i say they're very selfish i think also selfish is a good thing because it's also be able to take care of you first before trying to take care of other people so it's like First, you need to love yourself to being able to love someone else. So selfish is not necessarily a bad thing. But And this generation, eventually, they, they care more about their own feeling, about what they really want to achieve. So they are more self-directed. 
So doesn't mean that they don't care about the group. Uh, I think, for example, on some parts, you can see uh, recently some um, um, some stories in China. I think we are talking about uh, the mooncake, but uh, <laughs> that um, yeah, those nationalism uh, stories that shows that in some situation they will be here also to protect the the nation. Mm -hmm. You know. <laughs> So me first, but I still care. Uh, mm -hmm. I still care about the uh, mm -hmm. nation and country and and us. Certain situations, yeah. So, just as a a final final finishing point, one thing that I like to ask is if there is someone listening to this now who is really struggling like they're maybe struggling with depression or anxiety or they feel like they don't have that sense of purpose that is so important. Mm. What is the the one thing that you think that they could do right now that would help help them move forward? Okay. Well, uh, I would advise them to open a, a video channel and watch something funny. <laughs> No, love is always is always a good cure. But to be honest, uh, when you're bad, first step is not uh, you're not thinking about what's my purpose. First of all, you're thinking about how oh, I'm I'm getting out of here, you know. So I came out personally uh, from situation through people. I call friends. I can call family. Or I could even go to talk to a stranger. I did it. It works. Or maybe you can ask to for more professional help. I can be a coach or can be a therapist. But what I'm trying to see uh, to do as an approach also is to instead of getting stuck into the negative and getting rid of what's wrong, is also trying to focalize more on the the positive thing. So I will always try to. To more bring up some uh, some sweet things when I have in a difficult conversation with someone that is going, for example, very badly, trying to refocus on those uh, eventually past achievement, happy moments, uh, good time, and slowly, slowly guiding the person into this um, these more sweet things to reconnect with that. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, but I used to do not that bad. Um, that was the case, for example, with the girl I met yesterday. Uh, she arrived not so happy, but then we talk about her past achievement and, and proudest moment back in time. And, and she can't realize that, yeah, actually, I'm not, I'm not that bad. You know? So in a not severe, I will say, depressive state or stuff like that, this can be an approach. Uh, in a more severe and depressive state, that eventually is another story. Perfect. I think that is the uh, perfect place to finish. <laughs> yes. Nice. A nice positive place to finish. <laughs> no. um, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. No, thank you, Ben. I think Great pleasure to be here with some, you. Yeah. Some nuggets of gold amidst that conversation. Um, is there anything you would like to say to finish? Well, um, what I like to say is uh, life is at the end is a, is a, it's not a game, but uh, it should be fun. So uh, every time I always say that we only have one shot. Uh, often we realize 
this when we are facing a very tough time. Uh, it can be in front of health issue, can be in front of losing someone we love, and sometimes it makes people react. But I'm really trying to be more into this, uh, instead of uh, Western medicine style, like curing people, <laughs> trying to be more like this Chinese medicine style, more into prevention. So my way is the spreading the word, spreading the word of positivity, being happy, smiling to people. And uh, yeah, that's it. And if I'm the one to do that, if I smile today to five people, that smile to five people, that smile to five people, uh, 20 times later, the whole world will be smiling. <laughs> well, that's a great place to finish <laughs> perfect yeah great thank you <laughs> that was episode four of rolling forward i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as i enjoyed recording it now if you enjoyed this episode or you feel that there is something that i should be talking about or someone that i should be talking to please don't hesitate to get in touch most effective way to do that is to leave a review on itunes or whatever podcasting app you are listening on I will read any and all reviews, so please leave your comments so I can provide you with even more value. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you next time.